Well, how many are actually ready for a happy new year? It's interesting, isn't it? The new year, it's uh, one of the, I, it's, it just remains a, a curious holiday uh, because, uh, you know, it's not like, oh, we're remembering, you know, the, the resurrection of Jesus or we're, rem- we're, not, we're not remembering the birth of Jesus or the, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or, or leprechauns. Uh, but there's not, what, what's the deal? The, the calendar changed. Woo. That happens every day. Uh, and yet there's something wonderful about new year. I love it. I don't know why I just, I love the idea of a fresh start. I love the idea of dreaming something new. I love the idea of, of giving ourselves permission to imagine the future differently than the past or even the present. Giving ourselves permission to imagine the future better than now. Anytime we give ourselves permission to do that, that's a good thing. That is hope. And if you can look through the lens of faith, And by faith, see something before you. And then take a step toward that. If you can look through the lens of faith and see something and then take the next step, then almost anything will be possible. And I say, the only reason why I say almost is if somebody, I don't want someone with a little asterisk saying, well, I imagine myself, you know, traveling to Mars. You go for it. You do you, do boo. (laughs) But today, it's look thither Sunday. So it's time to be encouraged, for all of us to be encouraged to look through the lens of faith and ask, what can be. Look through the lens of faith to ask what can be, and then having seen what can be, to go and make it so. And our story begins in a kingdom, in a faraway kingdom, long, long ago. Once there was a great kingdom. This kingdom was known throughout all the lands for its splendor, its magnificent buildings, its great terraced gardens, and beautiful, bountiful farms. But through time, all that had changed. Now the once great buildings were falling down and in need of much repair. The farms were now small and did not grow enough food for the kingdom. The poor villagers would oftentimes go hungry. The people of this kingdom were not just poor by way of things. They were poor of spirit, for there was not much joy in the village. By the way, I really like that sentence. They were poor because there wasn't enough joy. I like that. There, I mean, I, I don't like that there was not enough. You understand? Yeah, I like that definition. Uh, Uh, There were no dancers, rarely was music heard. Worst of all, the people had forgotten why their kingdom was once great. 
Now, the king of this land did not look as you might expect a king to look, for he didn't have a magnificent throne or flowing robes or a golden crown inlaid with precious gems. My wife does. In case you're wondering, what in the world is that lady wearing? She's wearing a gift from her oldest child given to her, and she wears it about at least once a year. Now, she did tell me I could wear it every Sunday if I wanted. Absolutely. Your Highness. <laughs> His castle was always cold and in need of repair. He did not entertain the kings of other lands, for he was greatly ashamed of his kingdom. Now, to the east of this unhappy land was a, a bountiful kingdom with great farms and glorious cathedrals and castles. There were lovely gardens adorned with fine sculptures and sparkling fountains. And night and day, the, the breeze from the city walls carried the most exquisite music and enticing scents of perfume and food. It made the people feel even more unhappy. Look up of their neighbors for despite their poverty the people prided themselves on once having been a great kingdom the king did not often leave his castle for he was weary of the complaints of his subjects one day as he sat down to a meager dinner there came a knock on the castle door the king's servant opened the door to find an old man with a large oak walking stick he was carrying a leather canister, which hung from his shoulder by rawhide straps. Hail, said the man, I'm passing through your kingdom, and I wish to, I'm, I'm headed to the village to the east, but I need an inn to stay the night. The servant frowned, this is not an inn, this is the king's castle. The traveler looked around in surprise. This is not much of a castle, he said. I, the servant, agreed. Still, I am weary from my journey, and I would like to rest here. Well, you must inquire of my lord, the servant said. Well, lead me to him. The servant led the traveler down a dark, cold hallway to the king's dining room. The king looked up from his meal as the man entered. You are the king of this land, the man asked. I am. You do not look like a king. The king frowned. Why, well, I'm a king of a poor kingdom. Our farms don't grow. Our buildings are falling down. My people weary me day and night with their complaints. We were once a great kingdom, but all that has changed. The traveler nodded slowly. Why don't you just change back? Change, the king replied. Well, we have tried only to fail. We lack all the knowledge of once of what once made this kingdom great. You lack but one thing, said the traveler. If you'll give me supper and lodging for the night, on the morrow I will show you why you failed. The king looked up thoughtfully and then motioning to his servants for platters of bread and cheese, said to the traveler, all right, eat your fill. When the old man had finished his meal, the servant led him to a room. And that night, as the king lay in his bed, he wondered if the stranger had tricked him. Well, the next morning, the traveler came to the king in his throne room and said, You've lived up to your part of the bargain. Now I will live up to mine. Follow me. 
The king followed the old man to the castle balcony, and there the old man brought out a long, round canister and pulled from it a brass tube with a sewn leather cover, a spyglass. He raised the spyglass to his eye and looked out over the entire land until a smile crossed his face. Then he handed the spyglass to the king and said, Oh, brilliant church. He said, Look thither. thither. (laughs) It's always worth reminding that in the past we've heard, we thought people that are are new and have heard this said, Did he say look thinner? (laughs) Well, look thither. The king looked out through the glass. He could see great farms and gardens, magnificent castles and cathedrals. He lowered the spyglass and said impatiently, I've seen the great wonders of the eastern kingdom. I hear far too much from them. Well, you are mistaken, said the traveler. It is your own kingdom that you see. The king once again raised the spyglass, and this time he recognized the hills and the glens of his own kingdom. But where there had been barren pasture, now there were fields of grain stretching as far as the eye could see. His own people were in the fields, their wagons overflowing with harvest. (gasps) You're a wizard, he said. It's a trick of the glass. It's no trick. But when the king put down the glass, his kingdom looked the same as it did before. Well, nothing has changed, he said. No, said the traveler, change requires work, but one must first see before doing. The king again raised the glass. What greatness this kingdom holds. You have seen what can be, said the traveler. Now, go and make it so. After two harvests, I will return from my spyglass. Well, the king on horseback went out into the kingdom, and he rode until he came to the edge of a once beautiful garden, now overrun with weeds and thistles. No one walked in the garden. Nobody nobody played in the garden. A, A group of villagers were standing outside of its fence, and their children were playing at their feet in the road. Why do you not use the garden? The king asked them. Well, it's not fit, sire. So it is not, agreed the king, but it could be. Look, you might say. The king held out the spyglass. One by one, the villagers looked through the tube at the garden, and the weeds and the thistles were gone. And the lawns were lush and inviting. And, but when they set down the glass, the garden returned to its overgrown state. It's an amusing device, said one man, but of no use. No use indeed, said the king. Behold, knave. And he went down to the garden and began to pull up the weeds by his own hand. When the villagers saw what he was doing, they too began to pull up weeds until they had uncovered a large marble statue of an angel. Its wings spread, its face looking toward heaven And the people stared at the statue in silent awe. 
At length the king mounted his horse, but before he left, he said to the villagers, You have seen what can be. Now, go make it so. The king rode further down the road until he came to a farmer sitting on the ground, threshing grain with a small flail. How goes it, man? The king asked. The weary farmer barely looked up. Not very good. Can't even feed ourselves, sire. The king lifted the spyglass from his coat and said, Come hither, good man. Look thither. Behold your farm. Ha! That's what I want to stop and say. Ha! Behold your family. Behold your future. Behold this house. Behold this city. Come hither. Look thither. I got to get back to the book. The farmer lifted the the eyepiece to his eye and gasped. It's sorcery. You have seen what can be, said the king. Now, make it so. Farther down the road, the king came to a crumbling cathedral. The roof had rotted and fallen in. Thank you, Lord. It was no longer safe to enter its arched doors. There were tents pitched outside where a small congregation had gathered. The king rode his horse up to the tent. The friar who stood before the people stopped speaking at his approach. All turned to see the king. Why do you meet in tents, the king asked. Why, sire, our cathedral has fallen. Well, why don't you rebuild it? Friar opened his arms to his congregation. We are few in number and poor. All we have are these five loaves and two fish. Have you, here it is. If if you have my book, you see it's asterisk and underlined right here. Have you shown your congregation what could be? The king asked. The friar looked quizzically at the king. What might that be? See for yourself, said the king, handing him the spyglass and said. The friar looked through it and saw a new cathedral. Larger than the decaying building and more elaborate, adorned with beautiful sculptures of saints and cherubs. And the friar stared in awe. By the grace of God, he said, I have seen a vision. No, said the king, you have seen what can be. Now, go and make it so. Day by day, he went, the king went out until he had visited all the people of his kingdom and showed them what might be. Though there were those who would not look through the glass or refuse to believe what they saw, the greater part of the villagers looked with wonder and hope. That same year, there was a plentiful harvest, and the farmers filled their wagons and barns with grain. But not just the farmers prospered. The wagon builders were busy building wagons to carry carry all the grain in the new book that he dropped. The millers were busy. (laughs) He gets very into the story. Uh, The millers were busy milling the grain into flour for the first time. For as long as the villagers could remember, there was more than enough to eat. Woohoo! The happy part. Music and dancing again filled the streets. Old buildings were repaired and new buildings arose, including the beginning of the most majestic cathedral in the land. As promised to harvest later, the traveler returned to the kingdom. He almost didn't recognize the castle for so greatly had had it changed. 
The castle's cold chambers were worn with heat and music, and the king was attended to by a bevy of servants and maids. The king was dressed in lavish robes of fur and silk, and he warmly welcomed the man. My friend, he said, I have awaited your return. Look what your spyglass has done for my people. Let's make merry and prepare a great feast in your honor. The old man smiled and said, You have done well, but I cannot tarry. I've only come for my spyglass. Then I'll be on my way. At this, the king frowned. In the two seasons since you blessed us, we have accumulated much treasure. In exchange for the spyglass, listen, in exchange for the spyglass, uh, I will trade you all the gold in the royal coffers with men and wagons enough to carry it to wherever you go. You have spoken wisely, said the traveler, for the gift of the spyglass is worth more than all the gold in all the royal coffers in all the land. But keep your gold. You no longer need the spyglass. But there is still much to be done. Amen also goes there. But there is still much to be done. Yes, said the traveler, but you no longer need the spyglass. You can see without it. How is that possible? Asked the king. The spyglass only showed you what could be if you believed. For it was only faith that you and your people lacked. The king shook his head in disbelief. How can this be? Faith is foolishness. So says the fool, said the traveler. Faith is the beginning of all journeys. It is by faith that the seed is planted. It is by faith that the foundation is dug. It is by faith that each book is penned, each song is written. Only with faith can we see which is not but can be. The eye of faith is greater than the natural eye. For the natural eye sees only a portion of the truth. The eye of faith sees without bounds or without limits. I had not supposed, said the king, and that is why you once failed. But faith is why you now succeed. He placed his hand on the king's shoulder and said with a smile, You have seen what can be. Now go and make it so. And though the traveler and his spyglass were never seen again in the land, the kingdom continued to prosper and became again the great kingdom of old. And yet despite their abundance of food and their beautiful buildings and their lush gardens and their majestic cathedrals, it was ever said of that kingdom that their greatest treasure was their faith. Scripture, faith really begins, as far as, it, as part of the biblical narrative, it really begins in the life of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham to a life of faith. And faith, Abraham becomes what Paul will call later the father of, of faith. And Paul reflects on the faith of Abraham and his relationship with God when he says this in Romans chapter 4, against all hope, 
Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and, his, and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. Faith lets us see what can be. Paul tells us that Abraham looked at what was. He said, okay, 100 years old. Probably could do some sit-ups. His wife was also not exactly a spring chicken. In fact, she'd always been barren. But Abraham took an honest look at what was, but he did not stop there. If faith were a transmission, it would not have park. Or reverse. Or neutral. <laughs> just just drive. But faith is not fear of facts. Faith doesn't hide its eyes from the facts, but rather faith is the substance of hope in the face of facts. The writer of Hebrews claims that faith is the evidence of what we cannot see yet. Often we have no frame of reference for hope. We want to have hope, but we have no frame of reference for it. Unfortunately, sometimes because we have not seen or cannot see differently than what is or what has been. Sometimes that's because the this, whatever this is in front of us is so big, we can't imagine it being any different, even if it just happened. Or sometimes it's been this way for so long, we just don't know how it could look any other way. But faith looks. Faith says that just because it is like this now, it doesn't have to stay that way. So what faith does is begin to search the storehouses of the promises of God. And there in the storehouses of God's promises, faith finds hope. This is what it means for us to look thither. It means to look through the lens of faith into the storehouses of God's promises for us, and faith latches on to hope. Abraham saw what was, and then by faith he saw what could be, and he was persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. And then when, he, when Abraham looked through the lens of faith, being a senior geezer, and with a barren wife, He looked up and he saw the stars and saw that God promised him descendants that would outnumber the stars. Now that is looking thither. Faith will enable you and me to do the same thing. Together we can look thither. Faith can give substance to our hope. Faith can give us traction. Faith can give us a grip and a leverage to lay hold of the hope in God's promises. Faith can help us push away the debris of doubt and discouragement to pull up weeds of resentment and bitterness that have choked off our hope. You may have been looking. You might say, Dav, listen, I've I've been looking. Keep looking. Never look down. Never look back. Always look thither. (laughs) 
for Heritage Church. Oh, my goodness. We have so much in front of us, both physically and spiritually. But we, 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 we have grown. We have experienced triumph and tragedy together. And we can look back behind us with gratitude to fuel our faith for the future. My goodness sakes, looking backwards, and we've read this story a handful of times on New Year's, and there have been way too many times in my past that I have felt way too close to that discouraged friar. But together we've kept looking thither. And God has been faithful, and God has brought us through, and God has brought us forward. So many things. We lost count of how many people we had at Fish Fry. We haven't had Christmas Eve in years. We thought, oh, let's just have four services. Over 500 people showed up. Come on, it's ridiculous. We want to plant 20 churches. We got to get, oh, we got to get busy. Listen, we got one in Kelso. We've had one in the, in, the, uh, in the ghettos of Havana, Mission Heredad, in the ghettos of Havana. Lori and I smuggled money down there under the commies' noses. I, I don't know if I was happier about the church or tricking the commies. <laughs> Got to be careful in this church. People start getting their guns out again. Uh, But we, we did that because we were praying with the general superintendent of the, the, of the Assemblies of God in Cuba for to plant churches. And we've been talking with them and praying with them and helping them and encouraging them and sending them resources and smuggling money, yeah, all that. And so we planted, we, we partnered with them to, in, this, in this region where there was no churches to, to Mission Heredad, where there was thousands and thousands of people without a single church. I got this message. This is, I got this message from the superintendent's assistant. This week, and he said, hey, I wanted to tell you, because you've been, you've been praying with us for the community of tomorrow. It's a little area of land called, in, it's translated the community of tomorrow. We just call it Tomorrowland. But there's this place that they call Tomorrowland, and there's tens of thousands of people that live there, and there's not a single church. Not a single church in Tomorrowland. We began praying with him about this four years ago least right four years ago talking with them helping supplying encouraging them as we could i got a message from yosnir this week and he said listen he said we have planted a church in the community of tomorrow and he said because because you guys have partnered with us and prayed with us we've named the church nuevo heredad that's new heritage Nuevo Heredad. Well, we got two churches in Cuba. Woo! Wow! That's only 17 more to go until we have to set a new goal. That's exciting. And we got more stuff in front of us this year. I, I got to talk to my staff this week about modifying some, some of our, our organization and stuff. We got more things to do. We, we got to take care of more people. We got lots of things. The book of Acts said, that the church had peace, they were strengthened, and they multiplied because they were living under the they were living uh, 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 they were living under the, the the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It remains my prayer, Lord, keep us to living under the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. But boy, I tell you, we have peace. We are being strengthened, and we are being multiplied. 
And we look forward by faith. We gaze into hope at what can be together. If ever we must be a people of faith, it is now. If ever, the, if, if, if ever there were a time for faith, it's now. Our world has always needed people of faith. And our world needs it today. The world needs people who can look at what is, but see something greater. Can anybody in this house look at what is, and yet with the lens of faith say, I can see something greater? What about you? What about your lives, your home, your families? What can, when you today, when you ask by, by faith, you need to ask today, what can be? What can you see when you look through the lens of faith? What do you see when you look at the year in front of you? When you look at your family or your finances or unfinished projects or unresolved conflicts. When you consider desires or dreams or things that you've written off as impossible or just improbable. It is time to dust off some dreams. Faith, having seen what can be, cannot be satisfied with what is. Hope is dangerous because it always messes with the status quo. How many are willing to throw the anchor of faith forward into hope and not let go until there is victory? Faith lets us see what can be, and then faith leads us to act. Faith is seeing, and then faith is doing. Faith doesn't make believe. Faith makes it happen. James wrote that faith without works is dead. James chapter 2, verse 17. Meaning that faith always moves us to partner with God. Faith does not sedate us. Faith inspires us. It awakens us. When James also wrote about Abraham's faith, he noted that Abram's faith led him to action. In verse 22 of chapter 2 in James, he says, listen, you see that, it was, that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. In the same way, you and I, by faith, we see what can be, and we are inspired, and we are awakened, and we believe the promises of God. We trust in his power. We trust in his promise. We see what can be, and then we take the next step. Just say that out loud. Take the next step. We take the next step. We do the thing right in front of us. You may not know every step. You may not, you probably don't see the path from here all the way there, lined out step by step. But you just see what can be, and you take the next step. Because the good news is not only do we see by faith, we walk by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says this, We walk by faith and not by sight. So what do you see? When you look through the lens of faith, having seen what can be by faith, we take the next step by faith. We pray together this morning.
lift the lens of faith before you. Consider the power of God's promises. The host of His resources. What hope can your faith grab hold of this morning? When you look the year in front of you, what do you see? As followers of Jesus, where's he going? How will we follow Jesus more fervently, more faithfully, more fruitfully? What can you see? And what will you do next? some of us there are some pretty specific steps we might need to take this morning sometimes the first step toward a better future is repentance Lord we confess our sin we thank you that your word says you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness we repent of ways of thinking and acting and living that are contrary to your promises contrary to your nature, contrary to your best for us. We ask for your mercy to wash over us, your grace to strengthen us. Oftentimes, the the step in front of us to take the step toward a better tomorrow is to forgive, to release resentment, bitterness, to forgive those who have hurt us. Not to approve of the hurt, but to release our right to get even. To release our desire to to hold on to resentment. We release, we forgive. It may be the next step is simply risk. You got to get out of that boat. It's time to stop being a dry boat sitter time to be a wet water walker for all of us for all of us the step of faith is obedience following Jesus we stand together Lord we offer you our hearts our lives we offer you today And the year in front of us, would you lead us by your spirit to be faithful, fervent followers of Jesus. Looking ahead of us through the lens of faith and following you by faith, one step at a time.
Happy New Year. God bless you. There's refreshments in the cafe. Take your time. Slow down a little bit. Talk to somebody.